turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 5. As we begin this morning, the first 16 verses we normally refer to as the Beatitudes. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the seventh of those Beatitudes is the one we're going to consider this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, what? The children of God. The Beatitudes, and there's basically nine of them, are given as characteristics of a true child of God. In other words, what does a child of God look like? What shows that he is a real child of God? The Beatitudes key in on that. Do you remember how it all begins? It begins by telling us that blessed are those who are poor in what? Spirit. That begins this whole process of a relationship with God. You recognize, I have no relationship with him. And I am not at peace with him. I'm at odds with the creator, the one who made me. And here's these nine beatitudes. When you get to number seven, it's blessed are the peacemakers. That's a characteristic that reveals we're like him. Remember Paul said in Romans 8, we're to be transformed into the image of Christ. Christ came to make peace between God and man in his first coming. So we want to look at that today. I want to focus on that today, and I want to focus on it particularly because I hear all kinds of things today, like, you know, you Christians should stop focusing on what's going on in the nation and stop focusing on politics and other things and be peacemakers. And if you were peacemakers, you could bring an end to all this that you see. So I began to ponder those kinds of things. And as I was pondering, I found an interesting illustration from the column in the newspaper written by Heloise. How many of you read Heloise? Oh, only a couple of us. I don't read it very often, but I did find something very interesting recently from Heloise, and it works. She said that if you buy bananas, and they're in bunches, five or six together, maybe 10, she said if you separate them when you bring them home, they last longer. And she's right. (laughs) We now have bananas that last twice as long in our home because we separate them when we get them. Did you know that? Some of you did. Anyway, listen to Heloise about being a peacemaker. Kurt, you knew that, right? Good, okay. All right, here's what Heloise said. She's not writing as a Christian. You'll you'll get this, but you see the kind of direction she's going. Today we celebrate the birth of a man who is sometimes called the Prince of Peace. She's right. Peace is something this nation and the entire world needs more of these days. In a world of war, sickness, and violence, it may seem as though the world peace is out of grasp. 
It may even seem as though world, uh, rather, excuse me, peace does not come easy. It takes work. The peace, joy, and happiness that we look for starts with each of us and spills out to others. Remember, we are all part of the family of man. And even if you can't like someone, try to love them in the spirit of mankind. Boy, she only knew what she was saying. And then she goes on to say this, let's learn to enjoy and celebrate the differences between us and others. Let's learn to accept and love each other as we are and as we were taught to do over 2,000 years ago. That's why I don't take a whole lot of stock in Heloise, only on bananas. Now, what's interesting is there are even Christians saying similar things. If we learned what the Beatitudes were saying, that we are to be peacemakers, we would be blessed. We would really be blessed. And we would show that we are children of God. My answer is, do people who think this way, are they right? If we were just more of a peacemaker, would things be better? Would this earth be changed? My answer is yes and no. Yes and no. Part of that's true, and part of it isn't. I say no because it does not say that in this age, before Christ's second coming, before he comes again to make final and ultimate peace and inaugurate the new heavens and new earth, that there will ever be total peace, ultimate peace in this life. Not between God and man, and not between man and man. So, in that sense, no. This world is never going to be changed in this age by us becoming more of a peacemaker. But here's the yes. We can be a catalyst and an example of peace in this age. We can be an example and a catalyst, both among unbelievers and in the church, through the one who came to make peace between God and us. So let me, yesterday, as I was thinking about this sermon, I had five points that I'd been working on for a week. And last night, I was convinced that time-wise, I need to condense them to two. So I have two points for you this morning. Number one is to take the no first. Know the ultimate peace on earth that God has promised will not come to pass in this age. Don't expect it. It is not going to happen. First, recall with me verse 8 that Doug focused on last Sunday from 1 John 3, 1 to 10. And Rich referred to it in his prayer. Christ came to destroy the works of Satan. Ultimately, he came to do that. What does Colossians chapter 2 tell us? That his work on the cross has defeated the enemy. And then we go, well, hold it. People are still dying. 
people are still rebelling, people are still sinners. I, I, don't, I don't see that ultimate peace as yet. That's because there has been a stay of execution. And the stay of execution is defined for us in 2 Peter chapter 3. Paul says, God is not slow about his coming back and inaugurating full and ultimate peace. He will come in his time, but he's delaying. He's delaying the carrying out of that sentence upon the earth while he brings in millions of unbelievers and makes them part of his kingdom, which is not of this age, not of this world, part of his kingdom which will be with him and will reign with him forever and ever and ever. So this age that we're in is not the age to come. Christ is coming again. When you look at the Old Testament, you don't see clearly ever that the coming of the Messiah is actually a two-part coming. He comes to bring peace, Luke says in chapter 2, the, the angel speaking, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to whom? Men with whom God is well pleased. Christ's first coming was to bring peace between God and man. And Jesus came in that first coming to pay the price, to give his life on the cross, to bear our sin in his own body on the tree. He came to do that, and he accomplished that. In what he did on the cross, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, also was the defeat of his enemies. But they're still out there today. Satan is still a roaring lion, Peter says, coming to devour. His demons are still with him. And everyone born into this life comes into this world an enemy of God with no relationship to him. But what we find in the New Testament, and it's clearly presented there, is that there are two comings. Christ came to bring peace with God, to die on the cross to pay for that peace, and then he goes up and he's crowned, He's, there's a coronation. He is the king. And he reigns at the Father's right hand even now. But there's a time period between this and his second coming when he will make the new heavens and new earth and there will be peace between God and man and man and man for all of eternity. By the way, when Doug read that last week, verse 8 he came to destroy the works of Satan. When he comes again, in reality, in finality, Satan and his demons and all of those who are enemies of God will be cast into the lake of fire and removed from our presence forever. Isn't that wonderful? But until that time, until that happens, as much even as the gospel goes out and the church grows and people come to Christ in this life, there will never be peace on this earth.
Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples at one point as he's teaching them? I did not come to bring peace in this coming. He didn't say in this coming. I'm inserting that. He came to bring peace with man and God, which is an internal peace where we come to be born again and to have his spirit indwell our spirit and give us a relationship with him and make us new creatures in Christ. He did come to do that. But he said, in this age, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring division. People are going to be divided over me. People are either going to accept me and have peace with God, or they are not. And in this age, there is going to be an increasing division. What does Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 3? In the latter times, or is that five? One of those chapters, he says, in the latter days, things are going to get even worse. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God not obedient to God. Romans chapter 1 is a good place to go to see what unredeemed man looks like at the end, 28 to 32. What do unredeemed people come into this world and what are their characteristics? It's frightening to read that. When you get to chapter 3 of Romans, he says what? Not one man coming into this world understands God. Not one man seeks God. Not one man loves God. No, not one. Men coming into this world love themselves. That's why there are wars. That's why there's trouble in our nation right now. Because the hearts of men in this age, most men, are primarily wicked. They're evil. They think of themselves. They do what satisfies themselves, and they even take encouragement from getting others to join in with them and do it. Paul says that also in Romans chapter 1. But when you get to 2 Timothy, Paul says, in the latter days, it's going to get worse. And then I went to Matthew chapter 24. What does Jesus say? At the end of time, before I return, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes. There will be volcano activity. There will be all kinds of things going on in this life before I come again. It's going to be difficult. So the point that I'm trying to make with you this morning is no matter what kind of job we do at peacemaking, we will never be able to turn this age around and make it what he alone can make when he comes again. I heard an illustration just this week that helps me understand why when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New, back here you're looking at one primary coming to accomplish all of these things. But when you get to the New and Christ comes, you find out that he didn't come to make peace on earth in this coming, but he will when he comes again. 
And the illustration that was told me was supposedly from some seminary professor in a student's seminary education that talked about prophetic telescoping. That in the Old Testament, there was prophetic telescoping going on. How many of you know what that means? Okay, Doug does. Prophetic telescoping. Let, let's take what happened just about a week or so ago. Saturn and Jupiter came as close together in the sky that we could see that they have for how many years? Hundreds. I didn't go out on my back porch to look up. Did any of you look up? If, if you were looking at them with a telescope on your back deck, you were looking up, you would not only see them close to your human eye, but in that telescope, you would see just how close they were in terms of overlapping one another. We refer to that as what, what star? The Christmas star, when they come together. And it's very interesting, here it is at Christmas time when Saturn and Jupiter got into that configuration. But here's what you don't know when you're looking through your telescope. You almost look at it as though it's one star, and if you do see it overlapping, you'll say, well, there's two things there, but you have no idea how far they are apart. Just from what I read online, I think it's like 550 million miles between us and Jupiter. That's a day's drive or two. 550 million, and it's another 450 million miles to Saturn, from Jupiter to Saturn. You don't get that view when you're telescoping. But the New Testament makes it clear. There are two comings of Christ. One to bring peace with God, and one to bring ultimate and final peace to his children on the new heavens and new earth. And if you're in my eschatology seminary class, we can debate whether it will be this earth, which is restored after the curse is lifted, or will it be a brand new earth? So come in April, and we'll, we'll go over that uh, particular issue. So again, the point is, in the first coming, during this age, being a peacemaker will never bring peace in this life. So let's go on to the second point. Here's the yes. But we can be a catalyst and an example of the peace to come in this age. Now, I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 12. And verse, start looking at verse 49. Luke chapter 12 and verse 49. This is Jesus talking about what I was mentioning already that's out of Matthew where he says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring division. I came to bring peace with God, but I did not come to bring peace on the earth at this time, only with men with whom God is well pleased. And here it is again, but listen to how it starts out in Luke. I have come to cast fire upon the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. 
Do you notice his desire? He has come to ultimately cast fire. The only way that you're going to bring peace is to destroy what's here now and destroy all of his enemies with it. Satan, who wants to take the place of God and his demons and all who follow him, that has to be done away with. And it's going to be destroyed in fire. It's interesting to me, let's, let's read on here. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and I, I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. What's the baptism he has to undergo? It's to go to the cross. He, he must die and rise again and ascend to the Father, awaiting the sound of the trumpet to return and bring final peace and bring an end to all of the war and the sin and the rebellion and the selfishness. You see that again in other passages. I already mentioned 2 Peter chapter 3, where he talks about destroying this earth in fire. It's in Isaiah chapter 66. It's in 2 Thessalonians. And I'm going to turn to 2 Thessalonians if you want to turn there with me. 2 Thessalonians and chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians and chapter 1. And let's read beginning down at verse 6. Paul writing again says, For after all it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed." It almost seems to me that what Jesus, this is very similar what Jesus is saying here in Luke to what he said in the garden when he said, Father, if possible, would you let this cup pass from me? He's anticipating in just hours his death and is bearing God's wrath for our sin in his own person on the cross. And here he's saying, in, in Luke again, he's saying, I wish this coming for fire had already been kindled, but I have a baptism to go through in this first coming before I come again and establish final peace. So how can we promote peace in this life? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? First thing is, primarily, it means spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way we're going to be, bring people to peace with God in light of Christ's first coming is to share the gospel with our neighbors, with our family, with those across the seas, 
That's the only way we're going to see peace come between man and God. We have to be those who will take the message to the ends of the earth. Jesus said this is not going to be an easy task. He told his disciples that, didn't he? He even said, when you go out and you go into villages two by two, I want you to take that message and I want you to bring peace into that household that will receive you. But if they do not receive the message, what are they to do when they leave? Withdraw the blessing, shake the dust of their feet off, and move on. Not everybody is going to receive this message. In fact, no one will receive this message if no one understands and no one seeks God unless God is at work at first. Unless he's drawing them. Unless he is pleased with them for whatever reason only he knows. That's the only way they're going to come. The only way that peace will be made with God is that God is the peacemaker. He's ultimately the one to bring it. We're the messengers. But being a peacemaker, in order to be called the children of God, means that we take the message of redemption, the gospel, to all that we'll hear. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Are we taking opportunity to pray for people, to look for opportunities to share Christ? Now, the second thing I want to say here is there's a modeling we're to live like Christ. That's exactly what the Beatitudes say. In fact, let's turn over to the Beatitudes just for a minute, back to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to read to you something that's interesting in them. This is Matthew chapter 5, again beginning with verse 3. And I'm going to get down towards verse 7 where it says, Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then verse 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We have a role to take this message out. We have a role to give it knowing that in the Beatitudes, they're kind of in a logical order. You start off with knowing you're poor in spirit. You need a new birth. Your spirit is dead to God. And then you seek him and you pray. And you receive his son. And when you get to blessed are the peacemakers, isn't it interesting? The very next one is they will be what? Persecuted. Not everybody likes this message. Not everybody wants to hear the only way that I can be right with the God who created me is through his son. Because you have to talk to them about their sin. It has to start on the bad side before it gets better. Right? You have to let them know they have a need. But then also in this peacemaking, we are to be a model. We are to be a catalyst Hebrews 12, 14 says that we are to pursue peace with all men. 
In Romans 12, 18, Paul says, be at peace with all men as far as it is possible with you. What does that tell you? Even though you are the greatest peacemaker in this world, it takes two to ultimately make peace between man and man. You're to pursue it. You're to do your best to make peace, even with unbelievers. All men, and especially the household of faith, even those who are enemies of yours. Romans chapter 12. Even those who are enemies. This speaks to the desire we should have to make peace with people, to be friends, to love them, to be willing to treat them as I want to be treated, to put their interests ahead of my own, to want to have peaceful relationships. And that, that means not just a putting aside of hostilities. It means reconciliation, as we have been with God. We who are enemies have now become his children. We who are sinners have now become righteous. We're to seek that kind of peace with all men, to be reconciled with them. But what are the chances of that happening with very many unbelievers who can't stand the Lord, who don't love his son, who have not come to peace with him? How is that going to work out? In reality, oftentimes, it doesn't work out very well. Doug mentioned Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. How do we go about doing this, trying to be a peacemaker? Do you remember what Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13 say? We're to, we're to work out our salvation. No, excuse me, that's another, that's another verse. In fear and trembling, but it, because it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We're to work it out. We work out this salvation. We're to be conformed into the image of Christ because he's at work in us. We can only do this, be a peacemaker in his strength. But we're to seek this with all of our heart. We're to, we're to work it out, knowing that as he, it is he that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's by his strength. We need to be people who pray about this, who are in the word about this, in trying to be a peacemaker. We need to ask for his strength that only he can give to enable us to do it. We need to rely upon him. We need to fight the good fight to keep the faith. There's a battle going on here because guess what? There's a part of me and a part of you, our flesh, that still wants to do what it wants to do. It doesn't want to have peace. It, it doesn't want to put others' interests ahead of your own. And so not only are you battling Satan and his minions and all the unbelievers in this world that Satan is using for his purposes, but you're battling a part of yourself. You're battling the flesh. You need to walk in the spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. The scriptures also say this, 
we are especially to seek peace in the body of Christ. It grieves my heart when I look at a church or Christians who are at odds with each other. And it happens, sad to say. It happens in our own families. Families of professing Christians, particularly, I think, in COVID days, when you're all cloistered together for so long. There's a lack of peace sometimes. And even though we are new, we've, been, we've had peace made with God and we have a new, His Spirit living within our new spirit, we have all the power we need. The flesh gets up on mornings and says, don't bother me today. I'm tired. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to hear that. There's a battle raging between us, even when it comes to making peace with one another. 2 Timothy 2, in verse 22. Let me read it to you. 2 Timothy, if you want to turn there with me. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, says this. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful, useful to the mas for the master's good work. And then verse 22, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord. We are to pursue peace with one another. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 3 talks about pursuing unity and the bond of peace among believers. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, the same thing. Pursue peace with your brothers. This is an avenue which we have a much better opportunity of making peace, of displaying peace. And it, and it should be that way, unless our flesh gets in the way. And then there can be battles. We must pursue this peace when relating a stronger brother to a weaker brother. Do you remember those passages in Romans 14 to the middle of 15, the stronger brother who has freedom from God through his word to do certain things, the weaker brother does not, and the stronger brother tries to get the weaker brother to use this freedom before his conscience will allow him. And doing that causes the weaker brother to sin against God, to sin against his conscience, and it causes the stronger brother to sin against the weaker brother, and to sin against God as well. The reason is there's not peace. They're not pursuing peace. You have to build up the weaker brother first with the word of God, and then when his conscience is changed, then allow him to join you in your use of freedom. That's one area. When exercising spiritual gifts, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, those of you who have the gift of prophecy, you can come to the meeting where you share gifts, and all who have the gift of prophecy can share one by one, but you give everybody the opportunity so that there will be peace in the body of Christ. It says when Matthew 5, verses 21 to 24, if you're going to give a gift to the Lord, 
and you're on your way to the place, the altar, where you're going to give, and you recognize or remember that your brother is at odds with you, what do you do? You turn from going to give to God. You go to your brother, and you seek reconciliation. The scriptures are full of how important it is to be at peace with one another in the body of Christ so that we can be an example, we can be a catalyst. But you know what else the scriptures say? The scriptures also say this. There are times when making peace, even with your brothers, is forbidden. Did you know that? Being a peacemaker, being a catalyst in this world, being one who's trying to bring peace even of, with men and men, especially in the body of Christ, there's a time when you don't make peace. The scriptures talk about this. We need to talk about that just now as we're kind of finishing up here. Being a peacemaker does not mean that we are to seek peace at any cost. You agree with that? Never. If I see my brother who's living in sin, and I go to my brother, Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 speak to this, and I go to my brother and say, you know, I'm observing you, and you're living in sin. What are you doing? And he does not respond to me, and I take a couple more to go and, and talk to him, and he does not respond to us but he continues on his path of sin. I don't make peace with that brother. In fact, I will be part of a process to remove that brother from the professing body and treating him as a Gentile, treating him as someone that doesn't know the Lord, not fellowshipping with him at the Lord's table. Peace does not mean appeasement. It does not mean turning our back on sin. If our neighbors in this world say, are you going to promote this new amendment which we're putting in the state constitution to allow for this sinful activity? If you're my friend and you want to be my friend, you will be for this because we should let every man do what is right in his own eyes. We say, no, I don't know what it will mean for me, but I cannot support that, nor will I, because my Lord has said, this is sin. Peace can never be taken for granted. We can never set aside truth in order to make peace with a neighbor or even a fellow believer. Listen, for instance, to the life of Jesus Christ. Did he make peace with money changers in the temple? No, he made a whip out of cords and turned over their tables and drove them out. Jesus did that. Why? Because you've made my father's house what it should not be. How about... Matthew 23, Jesus' words to the Pharisees. Friendly? Hypocrites, blind guide, fools, whitewashed tombs. 
You deserve what you're going to get because you're leading people astray. You're making them, along with yourselves, a child of Satan, one who's coming under judgment. Jesus' example says, I didn't come to make peace with everyone in this first coming. I came to make peace with those with whom God is well pleased. And what about the scriptures in general? As we've said already, we don't make peace with those who, will, who say they're brothers or sisters and continue in sin. We cannot make peace, peace with a brother by taking him to a civil court. Remember where it says that in scripture? 1 Corinthians. Do not ever take your brother to a Gentile court to settle a dispute, to make peace. Aren't there spiritual people in the body that can do that? Isn't the body the one that should be making peace between brothers and sisters that are at odds? We can't make peace with a brother that wants us to sin in order to please him. If a brother comes and asks us to participate in something, even if he might be right and, and he has freedom to do this and God has given that to him, I can't do it if my conscience is not clear. I must follow conscience. By the way, we have to follow conscience when it comes to understanding the word of God. Brothers can disagree sometimes on the non-essentials. But you have to hold to the word of God and what you believe it says and live it out until God gives you knowledge or freedom to go in a different directions. Sometimes it's not possible to have peace with others that have falsely accused you. How can you make peace with them if you know in your heart this never happened? I didn't do this. How can you make peace with a brother that comes and says to you, I know why you did that. I know why. And you know in your heart, no, that's not why. How do you make peace in a situation like that? There are times, friends, we must look at the truth, we must look at reality, and we must say, I wish I could make peace. I would love to make peace with you. But the circumstances are such that I cannot honor God and be a peacemaker in this situation. By the way, if someone ever tells you you can't, as a Christian, be in the military and bear arms against another nation that's coming after your nation in order to do it in, and even maybe use those arms on occasion for deadly force, scriptures do not teach that. Being a peacemaker of Jesus Christ means I can serve even in the military. And I can even carry a rifle. Do you remember John the Baptist's words in Luke? 
to the soldiers that came to him when he was preaching. And they said, what must we do in order to be right with God? He said, here's what you do as soldiers. Be content with what you get for your salary. And don't use your authority to harm other people. He didn't say anything about them not being soldiers anymore. Being a peacemaker means that you can do that in God's will and for his purposes. So here's the conclusion. And now you're glad I didn't leave the five points in there, right? So yes, if a believer, a believer by the strength that God provides can live as a peacemaker in this age. He's blessed by God. He manifests the character of God. And he indeed may make a difference in this world. Be a catalyst as an example. Especially as he takes the gospel to the lost. And they see the reality in his own life that he's different. Have you ever had someone come up to you from the world's perspective, an unbeliever, and say, I've been watching you. Why are you different? You're different than other people I know. I hope you'll do better than I did as a young Christian at Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota, when somebody asked me that, and I said, well, I, I was raised in a pretty good home. And then I went, ah, oh, it was because of Christ. He's the one who changed me. He's the one who made me different. He's the one who made me think about people differently and is enabling me to live differently before you. He's the one who came and made peace with me. But no, we must be assured that living this way will not ultimately change this age. It will not. Only the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ will put an end to the war, put an end to the evil, and put us in the new heavens and new earth. Curse lifted. The curse lifted completely. All the enemy done away with. Then, with Christ, there will be true peace, ultimate peace, final peace between God and man and man and man. And only then. Don't be led to think that that peace is going to come any other way. But one day, and I hope it's soon. Now you can say, well, you're older. Yeah, I, I get that. I hope it's soon because of what I see going on today. Where I see us heading on this planet. But one day, whenever that is, it is coming... Jesus will return, and there will be no more sin, no more death, no more temptation. Perfect peace, all because of the work of Jesus Christ, who came once to bring peace between God and man, and is coming again to bring ultimate peace to the new earth, whether it's this one revived or a new one altogether. In light of these truths, thank Jesus at this Christmas season 
for coming so that you will have peace. No matter what you face in this life, persecution, yes, it's coming. It's promised to those of us who are salt and light. It's coming. Be ready for it. Don't expect perfect peace in this life. How many of the 11 disciples that walked on this earth with Jesus Christ? We know who the 12th was. 10 of the 11 did not meet a peaceful end. They were martyred, being a peacemaker for the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank him. Ask him to make you a peacemaker. And I want to close, and I don't have a clock, just with a few words of another hymn. Last week, you heard Henry Wadsworth Longfellow song in which he said, there is no peace on earth. He was right. And there isn't in our day. But listen to this. This is out of O Little Town of Bethlehem. I want to read just a few lines. O morning stars together, and I won't sing it, proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. That's the peace that we have to rejoice in today. New hearts, new birth, because Christ came, and yet he's coming again to bring about the final, final peace that we are looking for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that Jesus has not only come the first time to bring peace with you, but he's coming again to bring an end to all hostilities. He's coming to bring final peace peace. We thank you for that day, and we pray that in the interim time, in this age, where there is still war, we pray that we might be salt and light, that we might be peacemakers taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and living in such a way that we are a catalyst to make peace with men through his strength, by his power, and for his glory. We pray these things in Christ's name.